Welcome to the Brown Surgery Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Lynch. For those of you that do not know me, I'm a PhD educator and nurse practitioner by training. The focus of this podcast is to span both clinical and educational fundamentals and turn everyday topics into interesting discussions that can benefit students, residents, and faculty alike. So I'm really excited about the topic of today's discussion because this kicks off a multi-segmented podcast covering a topic that is getting a lot of attention of late. When operating, it's definitely one thing to be in command of a case and telling your first assistant what you need from them. This is certainly one of the things we train surgical residents to do over the course of five years of residency. For residents in particular, it's an entirely different scenario when they have to take on their required teaching cases and get into the position of taking a junior resident through a case. How one gets trained on this is not something that is standardized amongst training programs, and there's a lot of discussion nationally on this topic. So this process of moving from the role of intraoperative learner to intraoperative teacher is what we want to explore in this series of podcasts. To start us off, I would like to welcome two senior surgical faculty here at Brown. Dr. Christine Emick and Dr. David Cloutier are both well-known to our local listeners. Both are products of our surgical training program here at Brown. They both have busy clinical practices, and they both have a lot of insight with training residents in the operating room. Chris, Dave, welcome to the podcast. You know, jumping right into it, the first question I'd like to ask both of you is, what was your experience like transitioning from resident to uh, attending? Dave and I have a pretty similar um background in that he and I both went right from residency to general surgery practice. And you know, for me, I, you know, I, I sort of felt ready, but I, I realized that there's definitely still a learning curve after you get out of residency. You know, back in the day when we didn't have the workout restrictions, you know, maybe we were a little bit more prepared. Um, we had a little more autonomy and probably did more cases as residents, but you know, you're still, you still have, you're still learning after you get out, which makes it a little bit difficult to be teaching at the same time. But yeah, you know, I think both of our environments, when we got out, were very supportive. Like in my group, you know, anybody who had a big case, we helped each other constantly. We assigned, you know, another attending to, to each other's cases. And it wasn't just, you know, help the junior kid. It was, you know, my partner, Dr. Healy, had a bypass. One of us was helping him, which was great because I was, you know, had help with all my big cases, but also I got into the OR a lot with my senior partners and, you know, just continued to learn. Mm-hmm. So, but I think the challenges of starting a practice is that you're, you're trying to develop your own reputation. You're trying to develop a referral basis. Having your own patients for the first time is really, you know, such, such, so much more responsibility than I think you can be prepared for as a resident. So, there's a lot going into it, and I think I think it is a tough thing to be able to, at the same time, take junior residents through cases as well. I think when you're young, you're a lot less willing to let them struggle through it for hours and hours. You know, I, I find I used to take over cases uh, a lot quicker. You know, my first year or two, because you know, it's there are times that I was worried I would get through it. Basically, you know, as you get more experienced, I think you you know, I, I find I let the residents struggle a little more now than I used to because I know I can bail them out now or there's nothing they're going to do that's going to, you know, burn any bridges and, you know, make it so, you know, you can't fix it a little bit later, basically. But it's very different, you know. I mean, I think assisting someone else doing surgery is very different than when you do surgery. Like, when I don't have a resident now, I feel lost. I was like, wow, I'm used to, you know, spreading the snap and having them moving. Now I got to figure out, you know, how to do it without residents or, like even if you have like places that don't have residents, I think you do surgery different. You know, it's it's you with the bovi, it's you doing it. You got to come up with different little different tricks. I find that 
I'm almost, you know, I'm, I'm used to doing it with residents. I'm more comfortable doing it with residents. And when I'm all alone or with someone very experienced, like a scrub tech, it's a, it's just a different set of maneuvers for even, you know, doing a hernia, basically. Uh, it, it, it's very, it's different. And I mean, I, I realize the residents find that it is something that's, uh, that's different. That's kind of a, a skill set that you need to, uh, need to develop, basically. So. Yeah, I like to stress to them how important it is also to, you know, even if I take a case away from them, it's probably because it's a tougher case. And I think it's really important to learn how to be a good assistant. So, you know, I get, I get a little, you know, I think it's upsetting if, a, if you have to take a case from a resident and they act dejected or, or upset about it. But, you know, on the other hand, it's almost more important if you're in a tough case for them to be there as an assistant. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, how do you balance that? I guess, uh, you know, when you balance like what you want them to get out of the case, but also, you know, patient outcomes, obviously time in the OR, you know, you want, you got to move on through the, through your day and get the next patient into the OR in an hour or two. Um, how do you facilitate that process? Um, it's challenging. Definitely. You know, I mean, I think as long as they're, you know, making progress and you're heading in the right direction, it's okay to kind of to struggle a little bit, or there are differently times where, you know, gallbladders in particular, it's, it's funny, like I find if they're really struggling, I try to save them from the other side of the table. So it's that, you know, when you go to the other side, you take it away from them, it's that, oh, I couldn't finish the case. So now it's fine. I almost try to do the surgery from the wrong side. Uh, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. let, let me let me look for a sec, you know, spread, 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 and then everything becomes obvious, you know, and then I let them kind of you know, finish the rest. And I find it's that physical me kicking you out of your spot. You go in there, you know, my goal, you know, even if they can't do the case, I don't want them to leave the case saying, wow, I'm a moron. I couldn't do that. You know? So it's a matter of, you know, I, I think that you got to try to make it feel like, even though they haven't sometimes make it feel like they learned something, they did part of it successfully, not, you know, wow, that didn't go well. I didn't do it. I'm afraid to go back to the operating room because I don't want to screw up again. You know, for junior residents, you know, feeling like a buffoon in the operating room is sometimes, you know, it's counterproductive. They don't want to go to the operating room again because they're afraid they're not going to be able to do it. Then they feel bad about themselves. It's a suspicious cycle where they want to stay out of the operating room. You know, they were, they're afraid to fail. They're afraid of, like, the negative outcome or confrontation. So I find more and more I try not to, you know, take over the case completely or say, hey, let me try for a sec, you know, without moving positions, without right. being in the obvious surgeon's role, surgeon's position, you know, try to like do it from the wrong side or, you know, just try to make it. There's good and bad ways yeah. for sure to, to do that. I mean, you can be very encouraging and say, you know, let me, let me just try a little bit of this and then give the case right back to them and not be degrading or right, right, demeaning right. to the resident. Um, so there's definitely good and bad ways to kind of, you know, help out a little more than letting them do the whole thing. And I think, I think laparoscopically, especially it's, it's, that's, that brings in a, a lot of other challenges. I think for me, I, sometimes I have a hard time teaching because I have a hard time really articulating verbally what I want, what I want them to do. And, um, you know, you can't, you can't control them that well other than verbally and sometimes you're turning around and pointing at the screen but for me you know doing more and more cases laparoscopically that's been a challenge is just kind of articulating well what what i'd like them to try to do um, and you also have less control over the case with the laparoscopic surgery so it's a little bit more stressful i find it really stressful when like a scene a chief is trying to take an intern through an appy and i'm like you know 
two people back, <laughs> but you know, you, you got to let them do it. And as long as with experience, if you learn, you know, when to intervene or when something dangerous might be, might be about to happen, then, then, you know, that's just part of teaching. Yeah, I think both of you have mentioned it. Like what is, how has your approach changed uh, taking an intern versus a chief through a case, you know, or, you know, a two or a three, like based on the level of the learner, how do you prep yourself and how do you prep them, I guess, for success? I mean, I think you expect a different amount from each of them. You know, the interns, you know, don't know what to do on a hernia, but they know if I say so A to B, they can sew A to B, you know. So it's more, I don't let them pick what they're going to sew. I say so this to this. So it's more, you know, I kind of set them up so they will be successful. You know, if you say, what are you going to sew the mesh to down there? You know, most of them aren't going to know, but if I point to it and say do it, you know, so it's more the, you know, the, you know hernias are intern cases because technically they can do what we ask them to do, but they don't know what they're doing for another two or three years. You know, I mean, they say, if I left the room, you wouldn't finish the surgery, you know, for two or three more years, basically, which is kind of the, the truth. So I think, you know, getting the technical skills down at a young level and then, you know, knowing exactly what you're sewing, what you're doing, doing the dissection as they, as they mature, you know? So I think there are different parts of each case for each level where, you know, you gotta show that you've done the next step to move on to the next step. I mean, if you ask the intern to, you know, show me what you're gonna do, it just doesn't happen unless they get the the experience. So I mean, I try not to set them up to fail, if you will. You know, yes. not. You know, there's part, definitely parts of each procedure they can kind of do on their own, do independently, and then you know, kind of lead them to water, if you will, on the other ones, so that you know, the net effect is a success, but yeah, it's there's sometimes not the knowledge of exactly what they're going to do. So it's more of a technical success than a, you know, knowing what I'm doing success, if you will. So just, just so they leave with a success, not, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I can't even do it right. I, think it's, I just don't want them to leave the operating room, you know, feeling like they failed. You know, I mean, that's, there's nothing worse than that. You just set up this, you know, you, they become worried. I find people are always worried about their technical skills. They think they, you know, it takes years and years. Even the ones that are good are worried about their technical skills. Like they don't think they're good enough in the operating room, even when they are good enough. You know, so it's that reinforcement. You know, leaving the surgery feeling successful, feeling like you did it right, you knew how to do it. It's, I think important because it feeds for the next case. So you're not afraid to do it, afraid to go in, afraid to get challenged. And, yeah. Plus, I think you know, getting into a case if it's going to be like if you're going to do a gallbladder with an intern. If you get in there and it's a mess, you know, I mean, you just say, hey, this is not a good first gallbladder case. I'm, I'm going to do this. So you don't, you don't set them up for failure by giving them something that you know is beyond their, their skill level. But on the other hand, you know, if you have a nice, you know, straightforward gallbladder and you take the intern through their first gallbladder skin to skin, that's very rewarding for us. And I remember the first time I did a gallbladder. I remember the surgeon who took me through it. And I hope that you know, they'll always remember that I was their, their first attending to let them do a gallbladder. So it's, it's very rewarding to, to get through those cases. I think as the years go on, it's, it's nice also to see their progression of skills. And I try to like talk less and less, you know, if I'm doing a case with an intern, I'm talking a lot every step of the way, but you know, if I'm working with a, a senior resident, I try to keep my mouth shut and just let them let them do it without constant um, instruction. Yeah, there's a big push, I think, nationally, the same as we do the uh, 
the operative timeout to do this perioperative educational timeout for residents. Um, like as you guys are, are speaking about this, do you guys try to meet with the resident beforehand to discuss objectives for the case or say, Hey, you know what, uh, you're a, you're, you're an intern or you're a, a PGY three, uh, I'm going to let you do this portion of the case and I'll do the rest. Do you think that is something that you do, or do you think that is something that would be helpful, uh, for people starting a case, uh, just to kind of set expectations up front. So people don't get, as you're saying, like mad because, oh, Dr. Cloutier just took this case away from me or, or whatnot. I think I try, try to, you know, say, what do you think the severity of the case is? Like, this is going to be an awful golf ladder, get ready, so that mm-hmm. if you're not successful, it's not a, a shock, you know, because a lot of them don't know the, you know, they don't know they had a cold stop to me two, three months before they did this and this, because, you know, our HPs aren't that helpful. So sometimes it's more providing the clinical background and kind of giving them an expectation of where, you know, where you think you're going to be. Like, you know, you should sail through this or, you know, this is really just Canadian. This is a good rookie case, you know, or more like the complexity. I find I do more of the debriefing, like, you know, you did this part good, you did this part good. And because the evaluations are just so vague. It, it, like I find when I do an evaluation, it's, you know, it, it's like everyone seems to like get a C across the board, you know, and it's hard to, unless you do a really, really good job, it doesn't break it down that much by the way I evaluate them, if you will. Like, you know, you did a good job with the cystic duct and cystic artery, but, you know, it was a thin wall gallbladder, you got into the gallbladder five times, you know, or more, you know, what parts were great, what parts do you need to kind of work on, you know, or, or what, you know, what help, what trick did you finally do, or what did I do that made things obvious, you know, uh, eventually. But I think it's a good point, you know, certainly expectations up front is, I think it tends to let them know, you know, what they should expect of themselves. So they're not shocked at the end when it gets taken away from them or, you know, this is going to be awful. I'll give you a shot, but let's see what happens. You know, yeah. I, mean, I think it's more of the complexity expectation. I think is useful. Yeah. I feel like I could do better with that. And especially since, you know, these red, the residents are working with so many different attendings, like, and everybody does everything differently. So in a lot of ways it'd be helpful to say, okay, we're going to do this appendix you know, I use the harmonic scalpel and I use endo loops and this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, just for them to kind of know what's coming, I think is helpful, but that, that you know, debrief and pre pre-brief or whatever, I think would be really helpful. And I should, I should really try to do more of that. Yeah. I think, I think, and also I like days where, um, where I'm working with one resident and we have like three hernias, you know, where it's like a repetitive thing, which I think is, is really helpful for people to do the same case over and over again with the same person in a row. That doesn't happen very often, but I, I think that repetitive thing is good. And I think for me, if I've worked with a resident a bunch recently, that helps too. I let them do more and more each case. Yeah, sure. I have an intern that I've never met before walking into a case and I, you know, I'm not, I just don't know anything about them. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a little bit of a ramp up for level of responsibility in that manner as well. Well, I think, what would you, your suggestions be, I guess, for residents who, who are starting to do teaching cases, whether they're at the VA or at the Miriam or here at Rhode Island, as they're taking their junior uh, through a case, what are some tips you would give them to, to be successful in that role? Because it's, like you said, it's not easy kind of going to the other side of the table and uh, being a good first assistant and walk, help making sure that they're doing what they should be doing, but kind of giving them the tips to succeed at the same time. I think... You try, everybody, I try to be cool. You know, you want to, you want to take the residents through a case and let them do things, but you have to keep in mind, um, 
the patient's best interest as well. So if it gets anywhere to the point where it's taking forever or something's getting dangerous or, you know, you're not headed in the right direction, you just have to take the case and you can't feel bad about it. You know, that's going to be the ultimate goal. And like I said, learning to be a good assistant in a tougher case like that is just as important as doing the case. Um, so I think it's really um, your level of comfort and, uh, um, you know, just keep the patient safety and utmost priority. I think when you're starting to teach, you almost have to do a little more of it than when you really know how to teach. So it's like when you kind of get a little bit stuck and the intern's not helping you, then even though you're technically the teaching assistant, I think you got to do a little bit of it. You know, you got to kind of, you know, do a little more. So it almost feels like you're doing the case and you're not taking them through the case. And you don't realize that you don't completely know how to take someone through the case until you try to, you know, and I think you know, a lot of the time they struggle is quite frankly, you've never done it completely by yourself from start to finish. You know, we always take a little bit away, we do a little something or, you know, it takes three years before you realize that, you know, you doing the bovi between someone's clamp is not you doing the surgery, you know, <laughs> the scrub tech can do that. You know, you feel like you think you did the case because you held the bovi the entire time, but someone told you where to bovi it. And when you turn the tables and you're like, here's the snap, explore the board. And then you, you realize you're like, wow, I guess I only done this part a couple of times, maybe I'm not quite ready to take them through this case, you know? And I mean, for the Chiefs, a hard hernia as a Chief to take someone through will, you know, stump them occasionally. I, I find they think because they're Chief, they're ready to do it. And then that's what makes you realize that, wow, I gotta, you know, I gotta do a few more of these completely on my own with an attending before I can take, you know, someone through it. Just because you're Chief doesn't mean, you know, and, and it's case specific, you know, some Chiefs can take golf ladders through cases and some, you know, hernias, I find, are arguably the hardest. The Bresons are pretty good at gallbladders eventually. But, you know, I like I tell the Chiefs, too, like when the, the mid-levels, like threes and fours and fives will always be the uh, surgeon on, like, a gallbladder. But I find you do the same moves you've always done since intern. You know, when you watch someone else do a case, like an attending do a case or a different attending or a different resident, you almost like learn moves and maneuvers because, you know, you haven't watched anyone do the surgery for a while. So you haven't learned anything new. And I think you get the, like the next level of sophistication. I often tell them when you're a chief, you know, just, you know, take, be the, you know, take an attending through the gates, go on the other side and set it up for them, you know, doing the retraction, doing the stuff like that, or, you know, the people that are going to be fellows and doing general surgery call, you know, uh, you know, that it definitely, you know, you got to, you know, the assisting part is the hardest part half the time, you know, on a hard gallbladder, how to show it to them or something. So, When I first was starting out, I felt like the most stressful parts for me were like the simplest things that like as a chief, you're doing the big trauma cases and all the big cases. But then, you know, I was, you know, seeing patients in the office, you know, like that was something new for me. And, you know, just knowing, you know, what procedures I could do in the office or, you know, what the next step in the workup was, that was a, almost one of the more stressful parts because that's just something we didn't do a lot. Um, endoscopy, you know, I started out doing a lot of endoscopy, but anytime I was a resident, if something got hairy or the scope was, was uh, redundant or twisting or whatever, somebody would quickly take it away from me. So, you know, that was, you know, those are things I had to work through on my own. Um, and like some of the simpler cases that I hadn't done in a couple of years because I was a four and a five, like, like hernias, those were the, the toughest things. Um, so yeah, I would encourage people to, um, you know, really try to envision what their practice is going to be like when they get out and maybe try to, 
you know, take a day to go to Dr. Cloutier's office and just see what, what office hours are like, or, you know, try to be an endoscopy more if you think you're going to do that and, and, you know, really try to be the one who's going to finish that procedure. Um, it's, that's helpful. And I think both of you just kind of mentioned it too. Like, how do you like promoting that autonomy, I guess, is, is what we're ultimately getting at. And is there a way to do that well? Uh, like, do you let them just kind of, how much do you let them struggle if failure to progress is like a clear sign that we should like take the case over, but, uh, what strategy, I guess, do you use to continue to promote autonomy as you kind of work through a case with whether it's an intern, a two, three or a chief? Um, cause that's what they're all looking for is, is yeah. autonomy by chief year. Can we do a better job of that? I guess. I think different residents are diff- show different initiative with trying to pursue autonomy in some ways. Um, you know, I feel like some of the chiefs are, you can tell that they're, they take more initiative and, and they're just trying to, you know, prep and drape the patient and, and really get things set up where others are just sort of standing back a little bit more. So part of it has to be on them, I think. And you can, as intending, I think you can sort of sense, you know, which, which chiefs are striving for that more. And I think you tend to give them more, um, I think each attending has different comfort levels um, as far as how, how far, you know, how much they'll let somebody struggle or how far they'll let a resident get towards danger. <laughs> um, I really like digging out of, of danger. I like preventing danger, <laughs> but other people might feel differently, you know? I, I appreciate both of you uh, taking the time to, to go through this. I think it's, it's, it's really helpful to talk about uh, because a lot of these uh, questions that you just answered are, are the residents are asking every day, at least if not uh, other faculty internally. So uh, I think this would be good to give them a little viewpoint into your world and what you think about daily as you're operating with residents and what they're ultimately going to have to deal with as they move along their career continuum. So I appreciate it. I feel like um, it's different now. Like I said, I, I think when we trained, we had more, more cases, more autonomy. You know, I think now, you know, there's such a big trend for people to do fellowships, mainly because maybe they're not quite ready at the end of residency. To the, the literature says, yes, they go into it because a lot of them, not only for career goals, but um, because they need to catch up. But yeah. it also says at the end of a year or two that they are confident now and they feel like they can go into independent practice. And I think yeah. it's important. It's probably a reflection of the 80-hour work week to some extent. Um uh, but yeah, I think it, it's tough. Uh, but our goal is to, you know, promote autonomy in the yeah. best way we can. And I think especially now, you know, COVID has definitely cut down on their cases. A lot of the mid-levels of chiefs are just really feeling like they're already behind the eight ball, you know, even more for those several months that, you know, they weren't doing surgery. You know, and that's, it's yeah. hard. It takes a while to get that confidence back that, you know, you're going to be okay. And I think in our program, we do enough surgery that most people are pretty confident when they, when they finish, whether or not they realize it, that's that's the next step. You know, everyone's got a different, you know, comfort level. How many times they need to do things before they, you know, want to do it independently or confident about it. But yeah, it's challenging, you know. It's, yeah. it's a tough time. You must be doing a pretty good job because everybody comes back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I think this was great. Um, I think uh, the residents are going to get a lot out of this. Great. All right. Thanks, Ken. All right. Thank you. I'd like to say thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast. Uh, Please be sure to check us out next week where we will continue this discussion with some of our junior faculty here at Brown, namely Drs. Andrew Lurz and Marco Andrea Giorgi.
They're both going to give us their perspective on what it was like transitioning from residents and fellows just a couple of years ago, and how they promote operative teaching and resident autonomy while balancing their own goals as junior attendings. So stay tuned for that, and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you.